1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and member FDIC. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you.
0: I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take
1: drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris.
0: What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother.
1: Ichista. Wesley Ichista.
0: Today we're talking a movie from 2021 in theaters and on VOD, No Time to Die. Man. You need to keep that going?
1: So we're talking about a movie from 2019. (laughs) Wait, what? Yeah, man. Bond was the first major studio release to be pushed. It was originally 2019. And then like a few other movies, they were like, "Ah, oh, let's push it into the really safe, super innocuous 2020.
0: Yeah, they were like, <laughs> and then COVID hit and they're like, yeah, let's push it a couple weeks <laughs> until this thing passes. Right? It was like a
1: quiet place, too. It was like, no, we'll see. It'll be a month or two. Everyone <laughs> chill out in your house and we'll get back to this before summertime. That little girl who looks crazy like Elizabeth is like a teenager now. No,
0: (laughs) teenager. I'm saying
1: he's like, it's my last Bond. I'd rather cut my wrist and play James Bond again, which he said after Spectre, which is like five years ago now. (laughs) So Daniel Craig hasn't been James Bond for years, literally for years.
0: Well, that makes sense why No Time to Die was on like the Dune schedule. Because six years is a long time between bonds. Yeah, but
1: this, this movie, I guess some of it happened in real time because he was all happy with Madeline Swan. And then he finds out maybe she betrayed him and then she he casts her off. And then they reunite like six years later in the movie.
0: Uh, I think it's technically five years, but she is definitely six or seven because of the missing teeth.
1: <laughs> I mean, she doesn't really say much. They didn't risk giving her imperative lines where she talks Lucifer into letting her go or anything.
0: She's very cute. She's very calm. In that SUV chase through Norway, she's just like, like, (laughs) (laughs) we hit a bump on the freeway and Paloma's was like, man. And this girl was like, I'm scared and I have a scary look on my face but did not cry one tear.
1: Yeah, cuz they were off camera waving gummies at her or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, very brave girl, but no surprise considering she ma- she's Madeline Swan's daughter and Madeline Swan sure took care of business in her backstory cold open.
1: I mean, she didn't finish the job.
0: Neither did he, I guess. And by he I mean Rummy Malik.
1: Lucifer Safin. Sorry, Lucifer.
0: Exactly. <laughs> the aptly named Lucifer, Satan.
1: Yep. <laughs> this Saffin character, I don't think is new. I don't think any of these characters are new. Obviously, Mm-mm. down to Felix Leiter mm-hmm. and stuff. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and they you know, they were played by various actors throughout Bond's long history. No Time to die is the 25th Bond movie. but there's all this talk <laughs> about Dr. No comparisons. Safin draws a lot from Dr. No. The mask he wears, the kabuki mask is actually a no mask. get it? No. But I got nothing because I know the new Bond and I know the really old Bond that I watched with dad when I was a kid. And in between, I don't I really lost that Bond thread. So a lot of the stuff that I read about this movie after the fact is connections. You look how it ties into this movie and this movie and the Timothy Dalton movie. And I'm like, I got nothing. And Kelly came into it just as cold as I did. (laughs) She was like, so was she in the last one? Was he in the last one? Did I see the last one?
0: Does it really matter? When they're tearing through the streets of Italy or wherever that was, did it really matter?
1: There are two Bonds. There's the watcher and the washer. And we're the washers right now because being watchers means watching 24 other Bond movies, which I was not prepared to do. (laughs) Some of them repeats. I've definitely seen a bunch and I have favorites, but I wasn't about making all the connections. That's what the Internet is for.
0: But you're an MCU fan. So how is this different?
1: MCU started Iron Man was 2010, dude.
0: And Bond started in the 60s. That's a long-standing history. Yeah, it's hard to bring something new. Daniel Craig, I think, was supposed to be that thing, and now hes he certainly shows up. It didn't seem like he was slacking off in his final Bond appearance. But um, harder, I think, for the villains, like the Rami Malek's, to really deliver something fresh. And not only that, but he seemed kind of like Rami Malek with some <laughs> face makeup. <laughs> like, not to say that he's innately creepy, but wasn't he just kind of doing his
1: thing? There's not a whole lot of Egyptian, prominent Egyptian actors. But I think that even in the scope of Egyptian nationality, uh, I've been to Cairo. You've been to Cairo multiple times. Rami Malik still looks distinct in his appearance. Like, I mean, when I was wearing sunglasses, people mistook me for Egyptian when I had my beard and I was walking around Cairo by myself. Rami Malik is an unusual looking dude. And I guess in that way, makes a noteworthy or a distinctive Bond villain.
0: Yeah, he's got a pretty icy stare in the big monologue between the two of them when he's talking all serious in the, in the samurai outfit or the gi or whatever he's wearing <laughs> in his tea room or poison room or whatever. Right,
1: the geometrical Bond villain palace. With the breakaway floors. He has
0: an icy, unbreakable stare that was so creepy. I thought his eyeballs were going to pop right out.
1: It's a good match for Daniel Craig's equally cold, icy Bond stare, unless he's all prostrate and like begging forgiveness.
0: He was pulling the extra sidearm out of his pants.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess eventually he did that, but he groveled for kind of a long time.
0: He did, which didn't help because it was clear the filmmakers were trying to portray a more sensitive, more in touch Bond who's facing love and humanity and what it's like to create another human. And so the fact that we're questioning if that grovelly thing was sincere worked against what the filmmakers were trying to create in the Bond character.
1: For sure, because he was not only connected to his love interest, to Madeline Swan, but also this little girl who at the time, I'm sure he suspected, he's smart, that it was his daughter, but wasn't for sure. He was still fully prepared to die or whatever, even though he had no time for it. But that also influenced Bond, who wasn't the smarmy kind of at all ladies' man. Paloma shows up and is like, hello, Mr. Bond, I am here to help you. And he's like, "Okay." And she kicks a bunch of stuff and she's like, goodbye, Mr. Bond. And she takes off and we never see her again.
0: (laughs) And he was like, you were excellent, like all platonically.
1: I think that regardless of the state of his affairs or his relationships, I'm pretty sure that multiple Bonds have slept with multiple women. In multiple movies, Daniel Craig included. But uh, he's now like a one-woman Bond.
0: All the Bond girls were agents. Ana de Armas was, I guess, a Cuban agent?
1: She was a, she was CIA.
0: She was CIA. Yeah. I mean, three weeks of training. but And his Jamaican, um, the Jamaican ruse by 007, the other 007, another agent. So all the Bond girls were partners in arms?
1: They drew a lot of uh, criticism. Daniel Craig recommended Phoebe Waller-Bridge, the star of bag and other stuff as a writer on this and everyone was like oh diversity you know time's up movement all that stuff and uh, this it may have coincided with that time given that this movie was you know a long time ago in the making when she was announced she came on relatively late but he said you know it was no it was for her talent for her ability to punch up this dialogue a little bit but also representation for women on screen has changed they weren't you know playthings for bond or or eye candy and most of the saving and <laughs> rescuing had to do with a little
0: wait a second i mean she may have been cia but was that dress on anna de armas really necessary
1: Uh, i mean it was
0: that's not eye candy it was
1: definitely a bond girl dress bond girl is a little bit weird that even that term is a little weird but apparently that dress was designed specifically for her to be able to move and kick and flip and fly and also still look good like at a party
0: And for her boobs to not come flying out at any given moment?
1: It was scientifically engineered.
0: (laughs) I liked her in this performance. I liked her name. I thought she looked gorgeous, and it was a nice counterpoint to her performance in Knives Out, where she also played across Daniel Craig.
1: Yeah, their reunion, albeit in completely—he was like Colonel Sanders in that movie, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, and she was all Frumpster.
1: Or no, is it Foghorn Leghorn? That's probably better. That's right. Yeah, so he he recommended her based on that role and working with her before. And I think she was great for all of the five minutes she was in this movie.
0: Yeah, that was the other problem. She kind of came and went. And then we moved on to the next set piece. What was your favorite set piece of this film?
1: Well, it's interesting because it's totally compartmentalized. And I was like, seriously, we're doing the bioweapon thing, MacGuffin again. All right, whatever. And all these Bond movies have to go to a fortress of solitude, a stronghold, all geometric with like acid fountains and stuff. And there's the obligatory car chase. Uh, They made a big deal about that motorcycle, (laughs) ridiculous motorcycle jump in Spain or Italy, I think, is where they were.
0: He drives up some kind of ramp and then launches into a crowd of people. And it's
1: a crazy centerpiece stunt shown in the trailers and stuff. And it's supposed to be amazing. But it didn't stop Kelly from being like, come on. Like it was so, it was such a great, crazy-looking stunt that it looked absurd.
0: Yeah, a lot of the motorcycle stuff was
1: pretty wild. I mean, James Bond movies are inherently silly things, I think. And it had always been tongue-in-cheek, but we're kind of in a different era. And I came to the realization on Not No Time to Die, which is not by any stretch a bad Bond movie. I think it's a perfectly fitting Bond movie and maybe a good send-off for Daniel Craig. But I never thought I would say that kind of the Mission Impossibles are better. And maybe it's because of Bond's constraints, because of his history, and because this Bond is tougher and more soldier-like and serious. It just, they're not quite as fun. Like, th- he's like the most depressed Bond ever. He's got so much drama, and he's still moaning about Vesper Lind, who we haven't seen since 2006. <laughs>
0: Doesn't this just make it more British? Like, isn't this? is aren't?
1: <laughs> I don't think that's I, racist. What is that nationalist?
0: I think that this is still a British franchise with British sentiments, and they're and they're aware of this. Like, it's not coincidence that they cast the douchebag from Big Short to be the American villain.
1: The blonde guy.
0: <laughs> yeah, the blonde guy, uh, Book of Mormon, Billy Magnuson. It was very much British commentary on American culture that they cast Billy Magnuson as kind of this smiles too much, double crossing American agent.
1: The most British, most dour Bond movie ever, and the first one directed by an American. <laughs>
0: Right. And Carrie Joji Fukunaga is amazing.
1: I thought Danny Boyle would have been good and they parted over creative differences. I got no problem with Fukunaga. I think he's good. I think he was like J.J. Abrams stepping into the beloved franchise of Star Wars. And th- I thought this guy is the absolute best best possible choice to direct this movie. Just like I still think James Mangold is the best possible choice to take over Indiana Jones. So Fukunaga comes in with Bond and probably thought he was going to put his stamp on it and make it a completely distinct thing. But I'm guessing he probably faced some of the constraints of the broccoli producing team, the legacy of James Bond. You have to what's the word? Kowtow? You have to really bend mm-hmm. in deference to the fans. James Bond is a big deal and has been around for long ...longer than this Fukunaga guy has been alive. You know, there's restraints and there's considerations... ...and all that I'm guessing is a little bit hindering...
0: Mm-hmm. A lot of parameters that he has to work within. That's true. And I wouldn't say that plot-wise or story-wise it was coherent, but visually and from a director's perspective, I thought it was pretty coherent, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. I mean, there are all the things that we're aware of in the convention of spy movies and things.
0: The only line delivery that felt like the filmmakers and Daniel Craig were like, uh, okay, let's just get it over with was when he zaps Faux Hawk's uh, eyeball. Yeah. And he's like, really blew his mind. He had a couple grown worthy one-liners, but I guess those are kind of obligatory. And, um, you know, Daniel Craig was very clinical about it. He's like, all right, let's just get it over with, and I'll try to add some gravitas, and then
1: let's get through it. <laughs> they really had to drag that Bond, James Bond thing, kicking and screaming out of him this time. <laughs> the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards.
0: Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. But I thought that he really makes this. He really shines. There was one scene where he where there was a big James bond size hole. Like, I was like, where is Daniel Craig? Oh, it was in the, um, the invasion of the biotech laboratory, uh-huh. the first one. This was when the Spectre, like SWAT team, invades to get the weaponized nanobot uh-huh. thing. And they, <laughs> and they commence on an Action Jackson level, unnecessary, like, elaborate entrance. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, you're
1: talking about the, the Mission Impossible climbing down the side of the building, kicking in the glass thing?
0: Lasering the glass, kicking it in infiltrating this lab, which is just populated with, like, helpless scientists. they like,
1: got the, uh, the SWAT gear and they come through the windows for people they could have knocked on the door to get. Exactly. Who, who had no idea that they were coming. And I wonder if we've come to a place now where Mission Impossible has to be, you know, the figure looming in the background, ready, ready to take the reins from the tired Bond franchise. I wonder if they're literally taking cues from Mission Impossible. If the competition has now begun to inform Bond movies.
0: I mean, maybe, but I think that the point I'm trying to make about that invasion scene is that Bond, the character, makes the film, makes every scene that really sings Like, is the Mission Impossible franchise so reliant on Ethan Hunt or Tom Cruise specifically?
1: Yeah, I think that it's all about Tom Cruise in these movies, but also because they wouldn't even attempt some of the ridiculous stuff he sets out to do if he wasn't Tom Cruise and wouldn't threaten the production with walking away if he can't do exactly what he wants. I don't know what he's doing, but Tom Cruise is about to film in space.
0: Right, which is also unnecessary, probably. Right. (laughs) <laughs> like there's probably an easier way to do it.
1: I do like Daniel Craig. I wasn't resistant to him as, as Bond because I don't have this protective feeling over James Bond. It will co- He has come and gone and there will be a new Bond. And when the new Bond comes and it'd be like, tomorrow we live. I'll be like, all right, I'm not <laughs> super tied to James Bond. But that said, Daniel Craig, I think, did make an excellent James Bond for the kind of Bond that he embodied. He's so Bond in his suit and he's so serious that when he does goofy stuff, like Knives Out, I'm like, why is Bond being so doofy? Like, it's weird. (laughs) This has taken up 15, almost 16 years of his life. And so it is going to be a defining thing. Like, it'll be what everyone recognizes him for for the majority of his young man movie career
0: yeah and not a bad thing to be recognized for he's the next and latest in a long line of illustrious bond characters
1: and overcoming all the initial hesitation and skepticism about his casting i think he did a great job and it's important that if you're going to do something for that long and be remembered for it that you actually be successful at it
0: are you saying that daniel craig is your favorite bond
1: um, I mean, sure. But then I'm weird. Like I said, I, I don't have any real loyalty to Bond. And people are like, Roger Moore was the worst Bond. And I was like, I kind of liked Roger Moore.
0: I kind of liked Pierce Brosnan and he was kind of panned and sidelined.
1: Bond is always going to be a little bit silly. They seem to have done away with the hammy smarmy tongue in cheek jokes for the most part by making him brooding and haunted. But inherently, like the nanobot acid farm where they have to grow <laughs> nanobots or whatever. and
0: <laughs> There was all the science fiction going on, and I was trying my darndest to track it. And I was like, wait, isn't the feud between Rami Malek and Christoph Waltz, wasn't weren't those characters really the ones that were at odds? Because Christoph Waltz was Spectre, and Spectre killed Rami Malek's family, and Swan's dad was inspector and then maybe Bond was a part of it somehow
1: sure what they didn't see eye to eye that was a terrible joke it didn't really work because he had a bionic eye So this is obviously Bond is going to survive until he doesn't, until he dies entirely by choice.
0: Well, he, well, the idea was that he didn't have a lot to live for right now that he was infected with the thing that would kill the people that he loved. He was like, there's no reason to live even if this is no time to die.
1: Right. Because he was shot multiple times, but the blood didn't matter. He chose not to live because he couldn't touch the woman he loved or his child because of the DNA encoded nanobots in his blood. Do I
0: have that right? I think think so.
1: Nanobots being little tiny robots, right?
0: Yes, who are programmed to attack certain DNAs.
1: If only he had some kind of device which would disable robots or something. Like some kind of electromagnetic pulse or something that could that could <laughs> If if he can't extricate them, he can disable them. But apparently the nanobots are EMP resistant.
0: We're talking super high tech stuff here, Wes. I don't think you fully understand it.
1: James Bond has to die willingly because Spectre in general is terrible at killing James Bond. Like they can't do anything to this dude.
0: But he could still he could have run for it dive i mean he's how many other explosions did he survive in this yeah, movie
1: he definitely survived james bond was explosion adjacent to this entire movie there's no <laughs> way <laughs> he, he could not have been more well placed for the specter explosion at vesper's grave he picked up the card got wide eyes and boom it blew him off his feet yep they're terrible at killing james bond but i seriously counted four explosions that should have outright killed him before the big explosion
0: There was the one by the control room door where he gets blasted down the stairs. Right. The initial one at Vesper's grave.
1: There's the hand grenade that he threw up in the air that exploded that should have killed him. And then there was the boat explosion, which killed Felix.
0: Oh, right. He must have some, like, Q-level Force Shield
1: thing going on. And Spectre, I think, knew that. I think they were just messing with him because did you notice that nobody in this movie, Spectre or otherwise, bothers to rig James Bond's car? He just got in every car and fired it up. and.
0: <laughs> that is the fanciest armored vehicle I've ever seen. Yep. They shot up the entire car, but didn't shoot the tires so that he could just drive away.
1: Yeah, none of the bullets penetrated, but they persisted. They were like, maybe if we shoot it for another 30 seconds, we'll eventually get through the glass, which is, I think, what would have happened, right?
0: Well, I think, yeah, that was the idea that Vaughn let them get like a millimeter away from shooting up Swan to teach her some kind of lesson about betrayal and love. He was pretty petty about that whole thing, that whole. <laughs>
1: he was. He was also wrong. <laughs>
0: yeah and she well you know and to her and in his defense she didn't exactly go to great lengths to exonerate herself she's like I didn't do it and then it was like kind of take it or leave it she's like I got something to tell you meaning I'm pregnant and he's right. like, mm, I bet you do. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, OK, they've got some communication issues. But, yeah. you know, they both are broken people and they we, and they're doing their best. And ultimately, he many times sets her up to go and live her best life, I guess.
1: Yeah. And once he disposes of himself, no one will ever come for her again.
0: I still, I don't, don't I don't understand Rami Malek's or Christoph Waltz's interest in Swan. Why did he kidnap? They're her? gone now. Why did he go to such great lengths to kidnap both of them, only to just like let the girl go? Like, man, yeah, get out of here
1: yeah go away what happened uh, he just t- totally <laughs> let her go I thought that he did the thing where he like planted nanobots in his hair in her hair or something sabotage her mm-hmm. so that the reunion would be bittersweet and possibly deadly like it was for Blofeld that was her whole reason for being abducted was to kill Blofeld she couldn't do it she wanted to go home he's like where are you going and grabbed her wrist and then ultimately he killed him albeit inadvertently despite the fact that he was attempting to choke him to death <laughs> for at least the first part of it so I'm looking at my notes because it's important that I remember certain things so that I can bring them up like I'm about to do now when I'm gonna ask you why I wrote down smart blood
0: smart blood q equips bond with smart blood yes. which is which I don't think came into play although they made a Big deal of showing his blood dripping on the pavement after his run in with Remy Malik.
1: Right, because the nanobots were in his system and were reminding him. But I'm telling you, man, nanobots was the thing. He had an EMP watch and smart blood and couldn't do anything about it. I mean, I get the smart blood was supposed to be like a monitoring system to where it measures your vitals and reports them back. But they really didn't make any use of that at all, did they? I don't think so. I also thought that when Safin was shooting him repeatedly and he was in the water or whatever, I was like, why isn't it burning him? Because when he's shooting him, he's like lying in that puddle or that weird pond thing. So only some of Safin's ponds are poisonous or acidic, right? It was like a clear water pond
0: in the midst of a poisonous garden.
1: Right. (laughs) It's a good thing he (laughs) fell into that one. Why was the, the water corrosive in the farming facility?
0: What was the farming facility? I Why don't... did they have those little cups <laughs> that they were like dipping in?
1: <laughs> there are Bond nerds who are like, you don't understand. It was because this and this and this and Safin and the history and her dad. And I just it's just uh, silly.
0: I have no idea what they were doing in there, but they were all milling around. and They had little tiny Japanese tea ceremony metal cups that they were digging around with. And then homeboy, she decided it was his time to die. And she fries them up well and good.
1: Yep. And uh, Kelly actually pointed out that that was the title of the movie. Not just a play on the title, but she said, do you know what time it is? And he said, no. And she said, time to die. And that was the full title. Oh,
0: between their two lines. Now I yeah, get it. Cause, wow. Because writing... Wow,
1: <laughs> We're kind of James Bond newbies. We we were just kind of watching this one for the fun. And there was some fun. I mean, it was machine guns in the car and donuts and stuff and motorcycles and
0: donuts. Oh, car donuts.
1: Yeah. We didn't have donuts, which would have made no time to die. Probably a more, (laughs) even a more enjoyable experience, but it was fun for what it was. So when the funny, dumb stuff comes up like that, we notice it because we're not so heavily invested because we're not bondophiles or whatever.
0: Are you kind of more of a classic donut? Are you into the classic donuts or like the fancy experimental cronut? bacon top donuts.
1: I got no problem with that new stuff, but I do think it overcomplicates things. More flavors kind of just means more flavor. And I'm much more traditional. I'm in the minority in that I like buttermilk donuts. Those like one pound heavy donuts. Those are the bomb.
0: Yeah. The old fashioned ones.
1: Not even chocolate. Give me a heavy glazed buttermilk donut and I'll be happy.
0: Dude, you have to try the Grater's old fashioned Sour cream buttermilk glazed donuts. Where? They will blow your mind from Graders. It's like the sweet shop in Cincinnati.
1: <laughs> okay, next time I'm in Cincinnati, I'm totally hitting that place up.
0: I, you know, I'm still a Krispy Kreme, like hot off the conveyor belt, like simple glazed donut fan. Yep. But I can, I'm down with the Cronut. I don't know, like the, the fruity pebble and all that kind of stuff. I have no idea how to segue back to There is no
1: segue back to this other than donuts are fun. No time to die is fun. Is it fun? Sure. And it better be because it's super long.
0: I think we agree. More fun with donuts. Do we agree on our final rating?
1: Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, it was it was fine. It was fun for what it was. I felt like the Bond legacy is more of a trapping at this point than a reliable fallback of good time entertainment. There's just so much stuff they have to hit. It's almost impossible to satisfy everyone. It felt big and action-y and also kind of romantic, if a little bit dour. Uh, Globe-trotty. I did feel like the Cuba stuff with Ana de Armas was a little bit set Like it was a little bit studio back but that's just me. All in all, a fun experience, I guess. Solid All Right is my official rating. Bond movie, yay. We'll see what's next. Godspeed, Daniel Craig. And R.I.P. 007, James Bond.
0: This is one of those weird movies that defies my rating system. Because it's well made, but also kind of boring.
1: <laughs> it's like a Return of the King. Return of the King was, in my humble opinion, the absolute worst. Lord of the Rings movie. Fellowship, I think, was my favorite. Didn't win anything. I think Ian McKellen was nominated. But Return of the King got the accolade of Best Picture, which is what I'm going to bestow upon No Time to Die as an all right Bond movie because it's the last one and why the hell not? (laughs)
0: <laughs> the Academy and the and the voting bodies and stuff were just like making up for missed opportunities with Lord of the Rings. And they were like, yeah, why not just give it to him? Although I liked it. It was appropriately celebratory and all the confetti is falling down and Vigo Mortensen's all happy. I mean, as happy as Strider can be. Singing and, in um, Elvish. Yeah, so, like, you know, you want to kind of celebrate with that film. Uh, This one, a much sadder ending, kind of silly for them to try and be so serious about it, but a decent send-off for Daniel Craig and the end of an era for a Bond film. So, I don't know. I'm going to just, can I just, can I abstain?
1: Sure. We're breaking all the rules here on Or Whatever Movies.
0: And that's our review on No Time to Die. Available in theaters and VOD, probably coming to a streamer soon. Let us know what you think. 818 835 0473 or whatever movies at gmail.com. Bum, 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 bum.
1: We got James Bond for Christmas. <laughs> Except nanobots <laughs> aren't just for Christmas.
0: Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
1: Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. cast.